This is Dan Fagell, and you're listening to the AI and Business Podcast. It's Tuesday, and you know what that means. It is use cases that we are focusing on. In our work with enterprise firms, mapping the use case landscape is a huge part of our market research work. And what better way to do that than to speak to leaders within specific enterprises and the cutting-edge startups that are actually servicing their needs and have real applications in deployment. One such firm is called Chisel.ai. They're an insurance firm. We speak to their CEO this week, Ron Glosman, about AI use cases in insurance for both brokers and carriers. We break into specific detail the workflows being impacted and where AI fits into those workflows so that you can imagine how a similar process in your own firm, whether you're in insurance or not, might be impacted as well. So I think that this deep dive into a use case, that's what we want to do on these Tuesdays, is exactly what we were looking for and is a helpful look under the hood at where AI can find a fruitful fit. And Ron's perspective I thought was awful useful in this episode. If you're interested in more insurance use cases, if you like insurance or just want to see how maybe insurance use cases could apply to your sector, you can go to emerj.com slash INS1. That's INS as in insurance, and then the number one, emerj.com slash INS1. And you can download our free PDF brief called the AI and Insurance Executive Cheat Sheet. There you'll get not only a short glossary of terms, but also a healthy handful of the most important AI and insurance use cases that you might be able to apply in your industry and get a sense of how even more workflows are being impacted. So that might take your listening experience today to the next level. But without further ado, we're going to hop into this episode with Ron of Chisel.ai here on the AI and Business Podcast. So, Ron, I want to dive into use cases in insurance. When we talk to different vendor companies, they're all finding different pockets where AI can layer value. You guys have iterated your way into finding your fit here with brokers and with carriers. Maybe we could go into brokers first and kind of talk about where you're finding the fit for AI in terms of the workflows that brokers deal with. For sure. So, I'll tell you sort of how we came across this problem and and the evolution of it, because I think it's changed a little bit. And I'll touch a little bit on COVID because I think it's actually accelerated the pain point, especially. So I'll touch a little bit on all that. So the pain point came to me when I was presenting at a machine learning conference. I was invited. It was hosted by RBC, which is one of the big banks here in Canada. And I come to present and I get approached by one of the biggest insurance brokerages in the world who tells me that they're spending hours doing data reconciliation. Um, What they actually call that process is policy check. And so the process, uh, you know, on a a very, very high level insurance overview, I won't go deep, is the broker has a fiduciary duty. They're sort of the middleman, the advisor who comes in, typically they're licensed at a state or national or provincial level, wherever they might be located. And they're advising the person. And so they have this fiduciary duty to make sure that uh, typically two documents need to match. Those documents are called a binder and a policy. And so a binder is a a seven to 10 page document. And it's called a binder because it's legally binding. And it lays out the most important, basically data points about that contract. So what's the premium? What's the limit? What's the effective date? What's the expiration date? Any exclusions? And that's it. And then 60 to 90 days later, a final policy gets issued. And so that's typically 60, 90, 100 plus pages. And it contains a lot of definitions. It goes into a lot more of the minutia, a lot more of the legalese. 
to define all of those things that were listed in high level in the binder in full detail in the policy. Because the policy at the end of the day takes precedent over the binder. And so you want to make sure as a broker that the policy that you're providing to the policyholder is in line with what was negotiated on the binder. And unfortunately, the reality of the situation is that, you know, oftentimes it's not. And that's not to say at the final policy delivery, it might be correct, but they'll typically have to go through multiple revisions to get it to a point where it is in fact correct. Hmm. And so mistakes can be things as trivial as getting the named insured correct. And this happens because what happens is the system that issues the policy and the system that issues the binder on the carrier back end is typically two different systems and somebody's manually entering your name between the two systems. And so typos can happen. And when you're copying and pasting 50 to 100 data points, you know, even if the typos only happen 1% of the time, that means they happen once per document. Yeah. Okay, got it. So what is the process? Let's let's call it the pre-AI process. It's not like AI affects every bit of this process, but certainly there's areas it fits in. But at, at a high level, is the process simply combing the two and ensuring somewhat manually, you know, command F in my Word document and figuring out is this exact same sentence replicated? What does this process look like for humans that occupies all this time? Yeah, so it obviously depends on the type of data they're comparing, but some of them are, are just as you said, it's as simple as a control F to make sure that the name insured appears. Now, here's the problem. As you can imagine, if there's a typo, it actually won't pop up. And then then what all you know is, hey, name insured never appears in this document. And then you gotta manually read through to find the page where it's it's supposed to be which is typically like 10 different pages, and every time highlight it. That's what they literally do. They sit there with a red pen and a highlighter, and they're reading these documents and comparing them for you know 20 to 50 data points across hundreds of pages. So it's very, very time consuming, very, very error prone. Each of these companies, the big brokerages, this is public information, experience lawsuits in the, in the tunes of tens of millions of dollars a year. That's after spending millions of dollars on labor and technology to try and prevent those mistakes. Got it. So this is sort of what every vendor company needs to eventually settle in on. And fortunately, you had a conversation that I guess turned you on to this topic. They've got to settle in on some kind of discrete problem, preferably something measurable, where artificial intelligence could be a good tool, but sometimes maybe it's not AI, which is fine. You can build a great company without AI. But in this case, where AI could be a tool to potentially solve it. What does it look like for AI to help fit the bill here, to help reduce some of this time, to help with this particular workflow? Where does it come in? What data does it use? What are the outputs? For sure. I think I love the messages that you're hitting because I would agree with them. Like not every problem needs to be solved with AI. Yep. You should use the simplest possible solution because AI comes with risks, just like any other solution yep. comes with risks. Yep. So having said that, specifically here, um, what we offer or, or what AI can offer is a search space reduction problem. So the biggest thing that a human doesn't know is which one of these 70 pages should I be looking at to verify this data point? Because every single uh, carrier has their own wording, their yeah, own template, yeah. and each policy has varying lengths. So you can't always say go to page five. And so what the AI does, 
or can do is create a prediction that says, I believe this information exists on these pages. So typically, for example, out of 100 pages, that information might exist on five pages. And then it can go a step further and also say, I believe with this percentage certainty yeah. that it's actually the right value in that page. Yeah. Got it. So instead of the human doing a command F, which may or may not be perfect because they don't know exactly what to search for, I take it what you're doing here is you're using NLP to train on you know, however many hundreds of permutations of the way a certain thing can be worded, a certain clause, phrase, what have you, and then saying, okay, system, where do you see this in this doc? And then it'll say 75% certainty here, 92% certainty here, 98% certainty here. And so a human doesn't have to read every word. They can just jump to those cues. Is that a correct description or are you training this thing in a different way? You, you got it. That's that's the easiest way to think about it. There's obviously like many techniques we leverage, but at the highest level, that is the offering. Got it. Okay. Makes sense. So so they have a new workflow where instead of just downloading the Word doc or, or wherever they were doing it before, they're able to sort of read the document but already have prompts for what they're looking for. And if you could give us an idea, Ron, what are some of the kinds of things people are snooping around for here? You know, what, what do we need to find often? Because I'd like to get an, an idea of what what sort of concepts your NLP sort of has to drink in and understand? Yeah, so I would say 80 per- there's 80% of it is, is overlap. So 80% of the checks are typically the same, uh, the things that people want to look for. And then 20% it would be the sort of customization where you you'd build a model specific to the use case because different companies have yeah, different models, yeah, business, yeah, yeah. et cetera. But by and large, here's a list. So the most Simple thing is literally named insured. You wouldn't believe how many times named insured can be wrong. Hmm. Things like limits, you know, it would suck. It, it depends. It goes both ways. If you only negotiated a million dollar limit and they made a typo and they offer you $10 million, you take it and you laugh and you run to the bank. Versus the flip side, if you negotiated $1 million, but they're only putting 100000 you're going to feel like you got the short end of the stick. Yeah. Now, obviously, as a broker, you will report both to the carrier, but obviously one is has different implications for the end policyholder than, than the other. Yeah. Either way, you need to get that corrected. Things like premium. Premium is, is an important one, and at the end of the year, you still have to do an audit. So don't get me wrong, like you'll still need to do an audit, but you can help reduce the amount of times that the premium gets billed incorrectly. You wouldn't believe how many times there's a premium shortfall. The accounting and finance team at the end of the year are tracking down, you know, brokers and tracking down underwriters saying, why are we missing 10%? And it's usually that's what it is. It's like a 10% or 15%. But cumulatively, that can be hundreds of millions of dollars. Yeah, yeah. So this almost reminds me, Ron, I'm making connections in my own mind, and I'd like to make this clear for the listeners. You know, it almost reminds me of the kinds of applications that will read an invoice. You know, every company is going to send an invoice differently. If you work in big retail, it's not like uh, everybody's going to invoice you with your nice template. Maybe if you're Walmart, you can force that on people. But generally speaking, I, I think even for them, it's probably a different disjointed display every time. And we need a system that can say, where is, you know, basic information, you know, who, who is sending us this invoice, right? Where, where is the darn company name on this thing? And just have a system that can just plop that in. It sounds like, you know, you're talking about things like premium, you're talking about things like, you know, just basic entities. It sounds like it's kind of a similar ball game. You know, they're coming in in different formats. Yes, it's basic information, but we still just want a system to show us where the heck it is. So we don't have to guess, we don't have to scroll, we can just find it. Even if it's relatively, quote unquote, simple stuff, it's still hard to get at. 
uh, unless we can use ML to, to coax it out. Correct. The problem is in the multiplicity of input layouts and formats, Word, PDF, yep. Excel, email body, PowerPoint, and then it's, it's different languages, right? You can say legal name, named insured, doing business as, operating as. Yep. All of that can refer to the same thing, subsidiary name, parent name. What's the relationship between the two, right? So some of it is basic, but, uh, but, but of course, the, there's also the ability to do the check. So once we get the data, you, you can go a step further and do the check. The final thing, though, and I will highlight this because I think this is where it's very clear that AI, you know, is subpar compared to a human, is judgment work. So an AI will not know if that premium is reasonable, right? Yeah, so yeah. Let's say the premium typically is 6000 and for whatever reason they wrote 60000 in the binder, and that mistake was carried through to the policy. As far as the AI will be concerned, it matches. Yep. But it's really going to be down to the broker at the end of the day to say, yes, it matches, but holy cow, like this is 10 times what the premium should be. Yeah. And that's what AI doesn't do, and I don't think it should be doing because that's judgment work. Yeah, yeah. Well, I, I think that there are probably all kinds of situations where AI actually is going to make its way into judgment work. I mean, you think about lending, for example. At some point, you drink in enough auto loans for a 4 by 4 truck in you know Wisconsin or Georgia or you name it, it, probably an AI will be able to actually inform the bounded range for what is reasonable and maybe even suggest one. So I, I actually think AI does have a role for judgment work, but I think it is risky to have the machine do the judging and actually send it. I think that that would feel like the very unruly aspect here. And it sounds like even the level of, of checking it and understanding that context, that's not part of what your workflow is. So like you said, that 60 grand could just show up randomly and somebody might sign off on it if it looks the same. But you know, a human being is much less likely to say yes to those kind of things. Right. And then to your point, like I think we're going there. I think just like a human has to you know, crawl before they walk and walk before they run. The, it all starts with data extraction. I think most companies, if they haven't already figured it out, are in you know, somewhere along the path of figuring it out. Some companies are already in that second stage, which is sort of uh, you know, where, where we've seen the most experience is that first degree of just check the data for me. Yeah. And I think the next phase is coming, which will be, okay, but does this actually make sense? Yep. And of course, as a, as a vendor, you have to be very careful to talk about your augmenting the human workflow language over and over because they're, they're going to be afraid of you if you talk about replacing, uh, even if at some point that is how the technology is deployed. But I, I can't blame you for beating the drum you got to beat. The other side of the coin here is the carrier. Now, this is another area where you folks are offering your solution. If you could break it down in terms of what that workflow is and sort of where AI fits in, let me know where you want to start. But I think that would be fun to kind of look at the other side of the coin. Yeah, and I think that's literally what it is because the on the carrier side, it's it's pre-bind. And the insurance, and we specifically at Chisel, and my experience where, where I can shed light, has been on the commercial side of insurance. Got it. Insurance is one of the largest industries in the world. Yep. There's group benefits and workers' comp and life and annuities and promotional insurance and reinsurance and claims. And, you know, <laughs> yeah, yeah. There are a lot of things that I think we could do in 10 episodes. Yep, on, yep, yep. So specifically for the context of today's conversation, in the context of commercial insurance, there's sort of two worlds. There's the world of like, I need to sell you something, 
And then there's the world of I have sold you something. And we were just in the world of I have sold you something. So policy check is like, okay, now I have some obligations to you. And that's where claims falls. So claims happen after you have a policy. Yep. Ideally, it never happens. But, you know, 7% of the time, statistically, depending on the line of business, you're going to have a claim filed. And so that's post-buying. Then there's the pre-buying. So let's go to the pre-buying side. And so that, that's where submission intake and triage comes in. So insurance companies are, you know, one of the largest spenders in the world on ads, just on auto ads, $140 billion a year, more than any other. Oh, that, that's an, an incredible fact. If that's true, that is just wild. Yeah. That is wild. Yeah. Wow. And that's just on auto. And so they actually end up receiving a lot of applications because for a person, and, and again, I'll go back to commercial, for a company to request a quote, it's basically nothing. It's it's putting together an email and maybe answering a couple of questions, but it's not monetary. It's more time based. Yeah. The cost to a carrier is is time based, but they can they actually have a monetary basis, right? Because it costs them time to employ people. So yes. it costs them today a hundred plus dollars to intake a submission. And one of the most important things that they need to do right off the bat is determine whether or not they should even spend any time looking at it. And they call that process triage and declination. So they're looking for things like, for example, nuclear waste management. Many, many, many companies do not specialize in nuclear waste management, so they will automatically decline that, Hmm. whereas some companies only want to write that because that's their specialty. So different companies have different rules. And so, you know, depending on the risk appetite, but everybody has a process of I need to decline things that I don't want to write. And so that that is somewhere between 20 plus percent of the business that they receive is just quote unquote garbage relative to their appetite. Once they've done that, they then have to take that that information, start inputting it into a variety of systems. So that's typically a quoting engine so that they can actually price the risk. It's some type of CRM so that they have a, a customer record, and it's some type of compliance system for regulatory reasons. And so that information takes two to four hours to type in, and it's just data entry, you know, reading an email and putting it in, reading a Word document and putting it in. And then once they've done that, an underwriter takes that information, and they'll, they'll play with the different sort of weightings and risks of that specific business to try and generate a price or they can still choose to to decline that risk. So that process today is very time consuming. It takes two weeks, costs hundreds of dollars, and uh, very labor intensive. Got it, okay. Dive right in with sort of the AI side of things. I've already got some suppositions around how this would work. And again, sounds somewhat similar to what we would expect in an area like like lending. You know, again, we've got a screen who's coming in the front door, Uh, but, but articulate a little bit sort of I guess where AI fits into the bill, you know, you, you're already kind of giving us a bit of a preamble. I presume, you know, screening for all the lines of business we absolutely don't touch is one aspect. But you know, paint it, I guess, in your own words as to where AI fits into that workflow of triage. Yeah, so I would say the the triage aspect of this is back to sort of the, the prior conversation is in the second layer. So the first thing that has to be true to make intelligent, because triage is a rules-driven system. It requires no judgment. Like these, they have what's called the underwriting principles uh, set forth typically once, maybe twice a year by the chief underwriting officer or the principal underwriting officer. And it's very binary. It's very clear cut as far as they're concerned. And so to be able to apply those rules, you need to be able to read that data from a variety of inputs. So just like we talked about, these forms, 
these emails, these documents comes in hundreds of different wordings that all refer to the same thing, hundreds of different layouts, hundreds of different formats. And so that's the hard part, is an AI that can take a multiplicity of inputs and create a standardized output. And so typically that output is like an XML or JSON, or in this case, it's, it's a decision based off of an XML or JSON. And so the decision would be, okay, great. Now that I know the premium, now that I know the line of business, now that I know the revenues, I'm going to apply rules. For example, one rule is we don't write companies that have more than $100 million in, in revenue. They're too big for us. Like we're a small insurance company. We just can't afford a risk of that size. And so I pulled the revenue number. Revenue number is 125 million. Boom, auto decline. Next email comes in, 75 million. Great. I'm going to keep going down my path. But that's purely rules driven, yep. purely deterministic. The hard part is getting the AI to read the, the inputs. Yeah. So we know, basically, we know what marbles need to go into the pachinko machine. It's the type of business. It's the size of business. It's the geolocation. It's the this, it's the that. We all, we know what those marbles are, but we don't know which marbles are in this document. So we don't, we don't know which ones to send down the yes, no. So the yes, no chain is not, you know, it's not fuzzy machine learning saying, yes, we're going to work with this company. No, we're not going to work with that. You know, we have hard rules for that, but it is fuzzy to look at this darn document and figure out what's actually in it uh, in the first place. And so it sounds like that clarification point so that we can then run it through our our, uh, our checklists, if you will, is really where AI fits the bill. Yep. Yeah, for sure. You know, the, the future for this, again, is, is version three is what we, we at least call uh, prioritization, which is not every business is born alike, you know, and maybe that's not the right phrase to use because they're all beautiful, but <laughs> some businesses are more profitable. The ROI is measurably higher on yeah. some risks than yeah. others. Yeah. And so today, unfortunately, the companies very much are working in, in a queue. So first come, first serve, where I would argue there, there could be efficiencies found. They, they could have just as much capacity be writing, you know, the same 20,000 policies a year, but if they chose a different mix of 20,000, they could be much more profitable. 100%. So final piece comes in. Yeah, and that AI will likely have some role in that mix, but also maybe we'll just we'll close on kind of what you think that could look like. I think painting the future zeitgeist is always interesting, Ron, and this is an area where obviously you've spent a tremendous amount of time. It would seem like, you know, we could take a look historically at which of our you know, types, like what are the commonalities? And it could just be hard factors. It, 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 it wouldn't even be crazy machine learning stuff. We could just have human beings manually look at our most profitable policies or our least profitable policies that we did say yes to, and then simply find some way to, when we extract the data from, you know, with, with uh, natural language processing or computer vision or whatever we're pulling it from, when we extract that data, instead of saying everything that meets the pachinko machine, we say yes, Instead of doing that, say, all right, well, we give priority to things that have this bracket of criteria or this bracket of criteria or this bracket of criteria because we believe that they'll be the most profitable. It seems like that could almost be done without AI if someone did the heavy lifting of determining it. What is your thought about what that looks like? Yeah, I think I think that the at least my view on this is that the sum of the whole will be greater than the parts. So I, I don't here's my thing. Like what you're talking about is at the end of the day a minimization and maximization problem. And these are notorious in calculus. You know, I, I studied math and complex math, and 
You know, even if it's not well defined, there's no really, really easy way, especially as the number of variables go up, especially for a human. Today, minimization, optimization problems at super complex levels are solved by machines. And so I think the, the answer will be, because here's the thing, and this is the dangerous part of AI, is it's a black box and explainability is one thing companies are still working yeah, on. Yeah. You know, how do we explain the decision that's made? But the power of AI is that, especially at least neural networks, is it can make its own determination on what is most important. And it can take into account hundreds, if not thousands, if not millions of data points, when a human would tell you these are the only 10 things that matter. And the, that's the scary thing is that it might tell you that this is a bad risk when everything else tells you it's good. And so in that case, you'd be scratching your head or vice versa. It tells you it's a good risk when you'd be telling, when you'd be telling yourself it's bad. And one thing that insurance companies have a lot of oversight on, it's a heavily regulated industry, is discrimination. They actually can't be, there's things they cannot be discriminating based on. And so yep, it'd be yep. hard to prove that the AI did or did not discriminate based off that. But I think the combination there would be if the AI, based on its own unknown factors, thinks is good, and my humans thinks is good, that's a no-brainer. Yep, thing, yep, yep. Right? Yeah. And then anytime it falls in the other three buckets, it, it's cause for concern in my view. Yeah, yeah. Completely makes sense. And I think that there is certainly room for, for ML and some of those complex problems in the future. And and hopefully, uh, we'll get to actually see some of that happen in the years ahead. So my fingers are crossed, Ron. I know that's all we have for time for this episode, but thanks so much for joining us on the podcast today. Thank you for having me. It was a pleasure. So that's all for this episode of the AI and Business Podcast. Big thanks to Ron for joining us here, and thank you to you for listening all the way through. It's something we really appreciate. The feedback from you has been one of the driving forces in having these use case episodes every single week. I know you folks have requested use cases, really breaking down the nitty gritty on exactly how business processes are impacted and how the bottom line is impacted, and I hope this was a great example of exactly that. Like I mentioned in the intro, if you're interested in insurance, emerj.com slash INS1. You can download the AI and insurance cheat sheet for free. It's one of our PDF briefs. and You can grab that uh, at emerj.com slash INS1. Otherwise, thanks again for tuning in all the way. And I look forward to catching you in our Thursday episode here on the AI and Business Podcast. <laughs>